Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Modern Day Sniper Podcast for episode number 50. 50, dude. That's pretty cool. That's super cool. We've, um, I think we're pretty much, I think we've, I think we've broken 350,000 downloads, maybe. I'm gonna go check. I'm gonna go check here in a little bit. So welcome, everybody. Welcome back to uh, the Modern Day Sniper Podcast. And um, I am one of your hosts, Kalen Wojcik, and I've got uh, Mr. Philip Vallejo here, which is obviously our other host. And um, just a brief introduction, if this is the first time that you're listening with us, uh, welcome. Thank you for, uh, thank you for listening. And um, just to give you guys a rundown on what the Modern Day Sniper Podcast is, it's a podcast that's dedicated to the journey of the rifleman. And that journey is uh, unique to everyone, whether you are a professional, a hunter, a competitor, or an enthusiast, you're all in the same path. And you're all in the same path as Philip and I, you are students of the craft. And if you're listening to this podcast, you are a true student of the craft. So welcome. And uh, today we are going to uh, kind of finish up and follow up on um, the NRL Hunter uh, podcast that we did while we were down in uh, Grand Junction, Colorado, um, talking about that series, talking about the event, talking about how we both kind of feel as though that that's going to be the future of uh, precision rifle competitions going forward, simply based upon really just all the feedback that we got from from people that we just like, I listen to people, I just listen to them talk and and it seems like everybody is having a blast with that series. And I can see why it's different. It's everything is always different, right? So granted, it's the same process, uh, locate, range, and then shoot. But it's um, everybody approaches things in a different way because all of the stages are blind. And I really appreciate that. Um, and I learned, I learned a lot of lessons on that, uh, on that shoot. I learned a lot of lessons shooting the last two. Um, and we'll get into that as, as we go on. So, um, I shot as a recap, I shot as an RO, I shot the match on Friday, um, all 20 stages. And then Philip, uh, shot it as a competitor, um, shooting at Saturday, Sunday and, um, drastically different conditions from, from Friday to Saturday, Sunday. Um, it was super hot. It was super dry. Uh, when we shot it on Friday, we had some pretty uh, gnarly afternoon winds that came up that were supposed to only hang out for a couple hours, but it ended up being an all day affair. But um, other than that, I had a great time, man. You know, even shooting in the wind, it's, it's fine. It's fun. Um, and when you're in a competitive environment like that, it can get, um, you, you can get behind the wind really, really fast, especially when it's just constantly changing from one station or one stage to the next, because each of those, many of those stages, we went from shooting one direction and then shooting in the complete opposite direction, uh, the next stage. So you got, you got all of the different wind values for the most part throughout the day, at least we did, which was, which was fun. But, um, see, I elected to shoot the whole match with all of the gear that I was going to take hunting with me because I wanted to use that as a training, as a training event to see what, you know, my capabilities are with my current uh, setup. And so I shot the match with our, obviously a rifle, uh, a set of Thunderbeast bipods. I did have a set of extensions uh, with me for the bipods, but then I just used a pint size game changer filled with get light and a tripod. And, um, that was it. So 
looking at it from that perspective, um, there's two different ways to look at it now. And we talked about this in depth on our way back. Um, we had, we had what, 18 hours in the, in the truck to, to talk about stuff. It was like eight hour, nine hours down and nine hours back. So, um, looking at it from the practical standpoint versus the competitive standpoint were my biggest takeaways over, over the course of the weekend and, and how that went as well as me shooting the, the same match um, that Phil, well, we shot it together in Utah. So I think it's fantastic, man. I really do because shifting the way that, that I look at it because going into it, knowing that, yeah, man, I'm only shooting, I'm, I'm handicapping myself with the equipment that I'm choosing or limiting myself to use versus going into it with the competitive mindset and saying, Hey, I'm here to play this game. I'm going to utilize equipment that's going to help me play the game to the maximum potential possible. And I learned lesson from that. And you know, you got way more competitive experience than I do when it comes to those things. And I'm looking at things more from a, uh, uh, I guess from a pragmatic standpoint. And so that actually helped me shift my focus. And I've been thinking about that a lot lately. And so I'm going to approach things a little bit differently coming up with the next season. That's a, I'm glad you started off with that. I think that's a, a good point to talk about is, you know, when you, when you look into getting into competitions, you have to identify, okay, well, what do you want the outcome to be in terms of, uh, do you want to go in there and you want to be competitive or and play the game? Or are you going there to identify um, weaknesses or maybe a combination of both, but typically you want to go in there and learn about your individual ability or see how well you're able to do with the gear that you have and you brought, okay, in terms of understanding what your limits are. And I think some of the things that, again, handicap um, a lot of shooters, uh, you know, you always see it, you, you always see it on the forums or whatever, like, you know, the FUD is talking about like, oh, I'd never hunt with like a tripod or I'd never hunt with X, Y, and Z. And it's typically because they've never actually, you know, shot off a tripod or used it in a situation. Um, and, you know, some of the things that I've said, right, uh, that I wish I would have had uh, during the NO Grand Slam was a set of Skypods, right? But, you know, I was like, man, I would never hunt with Skypods, so, you know, why put them on? Um, <laughs> but then I get upset uh, for my lack there of performance. Yep. Um you know, when that piece of gear, because we, there's a lot of uphill shooting, you know, I burnt a lot of time just trying to set up, you know, a small little tripod, um, to shoot uphill, you know what I mean? So, um, it, it's just a, I would say a double-edged sword. And, uh, I think that's super important to understand. I think for everyone that's listening, everyone that's getting into competition, uh, <clears throat> cause we're going to see, I mean, we even saw it with, uh, our, uh, introduction, of our new courses that were uh, coming out for 2022, there's going to be a lot of people getting into the game of precision rifle strictly to be a competitive shooter, right? That's the, can be their hobby. Um, whereas, you know, we, you and I are teaching, you know, shooters to be uh, well-rounded riflemen. So whatever the case might be, whatever application you decide to utilize your rifle, right? We want you to be uh, the most well-rounded rifleman you can't be rather than just play one single game. And, um, you know, I think it's important to understand in a mindset way of like, okay, Hey, if I go into this sport, uh, in, in hopes of being competitive, I need to, I need to understand first and foremost that it's a game, 
right? And I need to use every single advantage that I can to play that game because mm -hmm. that is exactly what the top shooters will be doing. I mean, they don't care what, you know, uh, people think about the, the way they're shooting because guess mm -hmm. what? Where do they end up on top, yeah. right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's kind of like a, you know, it's a, it's a moral, it's kind of a moral decision, right? And so, you know, you could, you could sit here and, you know, sit on the, the proverbial high horse <clears throat> and say, well, f I would never do it that way. And you're right. Well, and to be honest with you, there's some people out there that would hunt with a set of sky pods. They're the dudes that are driving around in quads all day long. Right. So if you're a truck hunter, if you're a, a quad hunter, then sure. Like you don't have to carry a rifle very far. Um, you could probably even hunt with your competition gun. Right. And you could look at that and say, I'm hunting. Um, my, my form of hunting is significantly, if not drastically different than that. And my form of hunting, I carry everything on my back. And so, you know, I, I don't, I can't remember the last time I hunted from a truck and I want to say that was Africa, right? Where, where the only thing we, we, we rode around on trucks to find groups of animals and then we would get off the truck and go do spot and stalk. Um, but I, you know. I might've shot a couple of baboons from a truck, admittedly. Okay. I get it. Um, but largely, you know, utilizing equipment that I would, the same equipment that I would be carrying on a backpack hunt. All right. So, um, I don't want to go into, uh, any situation with like any type of false expectations or, um, a false sense of security about what I'm truly capable of, which would then perhaps maybe allow me to push a limit in the field that I shouldn't be pushing. Right. So, but I think I'm, I'm at that point where, where it's like, okay, dude, it's time to, it's time to shift your mindset. It's time to shift the focus. And if you're going to go play this game, go play the game, like go play it, you know, do utilize everything that you can at your advantage to, to win that game. And that's the mindset that I'm going to go into every other competition from here on out with period end of story. Um, because I can delineate, I can, I can delineate in my own mind. I'm here to compete versus over here, like training snipers, whether it be military or law enforcement snipers, training hunters and saying, Hey, you know, um, this is a hunting course, like our, our long range hunting course. We're not going to be teaching you how to do, you know, how to deploy sky pods and stuff. I will teach you how to use a tripod rear support because that is, if you have the time and opportunity to use that, you're a fool to not use that. It's the same thing for law enforcement or military snipers. If you have the opportunity to utilize that technique to guarantee that your bullet is going to hit exactly where you're, where you're intending it to, then you're a fool not to use it. And so there's my, there's my big giant dose of crow that I'm, that I need to choke down my throat. Um, but I'm doing it like I'm, I'm, I'm eating that crow with um, the most amount of humility possible because I want to see what's on the other side of it. I've never actually truly looked at it from that perspective of, Hey man, I'm going to go play the game. I've never done that before. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see what's on the other side of that. Yeah. I found my, uh, I found myself in, uh, at the NRL grand slam 
using tripod rear for two stages. So your stage, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Shooting off a cattle gate. How far was that target? Like 590? Uh, 570. 570? Mm-hmm. Pretty generous target, right? If in, in calm winds, but I could see when the winds pick up, especially in the location of the terrain there, which is just what I want to get into because I got a good question about, about this um, uh, recently. But um, the location of, of the actual... Uh, of, of your shooting position right in relation to the targets um, opening up with a wind call could be extremely difficult right oh, yeah understanding which side it's actually flowing you know do i trust the mirage well if i don't see mirage like what like what do you open up with right um so i use a tripod rear there and then my second to last stage shooting up uh, up at an antelope at like it was like five, six or whatever, oh. uh, but we're shooting, we're shooting uphill. Yep. It was, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I shot off the rock in my first position and, you know, I was like, well, I mean, I've got my, my tripod already set up from, from glassing might as well use it. Right. And, and that's essentially what we teach hunters mm-hmm. in our technical rifle hunter. Like, Hey, if you need to take a shot and like, you feel like your front support is still not giving you the spill that you need, then use your spotters or use a tripod in the rear. Totally. Right. So then I went with that and, um, yeah, you know, it's again, just looking at it from not only a, a, a competitive standpoint, but also a practicality, right. Because like, Hey, um, based off the situation that I was given, right. Um, I needed to use this to make sure that I was making this shot, uh, go exactly where I wanted to go. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the thing that I told the soul glacier guys, like, yeah, I shoot a thousand yards all the time, but you know, the furthest that I'd shoot, is you know 600 because um i when i press that trigger i'm pressing that trigger on my crossers because that's exactly where i want my bullets to be mm-hmm. given time and space in my wind call right yep. it's not like oh i've got this fudge factor of a 12 18 inch kill zone i'm gonna hit somewhere in there it's like no like i want to be able to know exactly where i place my bullet because to me that's super important agreed yeah it's you and know i feel like yeah i feel like 600 <clears throat> yards is my threshold yeah, there was a lot of so the targets that we shot at the finale were. I mean, granted, it was <clears throat> it was a championship match, right? So, um, you know, Scott predicted it to be a ninety five percent a ninety five percent match. Um, I think the 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 winners shot hundred forty five points out of a possible one hundred and sixty, and really really mellow wind conditions for those two days of shooting so yeah from that perspective sure um on friday when scott said it's a 95 percent match i was like (laughs) maybe when you shot it but it's not today um it's it's looking at those wind conditions and just constantly being aware of what the wind's doing and that's something that i'm doing when i hunt all the time is is i'm always focused on where is the wind coming from based upon if I have to take a shot over here, like if I look over and and I'm glassing something, literally the first thing I'm thinking about is what's the wind doing if I have to shoot over there, right? The, what is the wind doing? I've, okay, okay. So it's, it's doing, it's, it's blowing 10 miles an hour from, you know, two o'clock, whatever it is. So I'm constantly in that loop in my brain and, and shooting matches. It's the same thing, you know, in the, at, at Cameo, it's really cool because that's a really widespread um, of, of stages from, um, one to 20 and they were all fairly linear with the exception of some stages went out on kind of like a, the main stages went on one main ridge line 
and however there were some targets or some positions that that uh, were set up on like spurs and little points um, and rock outcroppings that came off from that ridge that had that Scott had a shooting in different directions which mixed up the wind directions uh, for us at least on Friday but it's like you have to always understand where's the general direction of the wind coming from where's the primary wind coming from and on my stage what a lot of people were doing is they were opening up with a center hold I could see it through the spotting scope they would open up with a center hold and if the wind was present, they would, uh, they would generally miss off of the right, but then the, the dust would blow the other direction. And the reason that it would blow the other direction is the target that we were shooting at there was kind of like, it was tucked behind a giant boulder outcropping and the wind was coming right to left primarily. But as soon as the wind hits that hillside, it shifts direction and it goes uphill. And so the primary direction is right to left, but then the shooter sees it going straight away up the hill and then it drifts to the left. And it really confuses a lot of people, but they're, because they're not looking, they're reading, they're trying to read the target or the, or the, the, the signature from the miss, but that's actually a false signature because the wind is actually blowing right to left. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, so that's a, that's a great point, you know, and I've, I've heard some conversations with, with shooters, especially, you know, at the Hornady PRC match that I shot, you know, it was kind of uh, in like a group conversation uh, with some, what would be respectively top level shooters. And, uh, you know, we were talking about how the wind, uh, the morning of day two was super, uh, it was just super weird. And, you know, you felt one thing on, uh, you felt it, you saw it one way, but then when you opened up with it, it was completely opposite, right? And what they had admitted was like, the only way that you're going to know that is by watching other people shoot in front of you or just shooting in it. <laughs> yep. Yep. Right. It's like, it's yeah. like, that's just the best, you know, and, and from a practical standpoint, it's like, it's like, cause we were shooting from like, one canyon to another. It's like, you know, well, from a practical standpoint, it's like, shit, well, what the hell, you know, what do you do? It's like, well, I mean, if you don't know, then you just get closer, right? right. Realistically, exactly. or you don't take the shot. And, um, you know, one of the uh, comments I made uh, that a lot of people resonated with uh, one of my posts the other day, is like, hey, we don't, I don't train to try to extend my range, right? I train to understand what my limits are, right? right. And based off of, again, hey, this is what I can control and this is what I can't control. And there are certain things that are out of my control, then you know, if I'm not comfortable to take a shot, well, I don't take a shot or I get closer. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, it's funny that you say when you're, when you're looking at a stage and you're identifying, and I think this is the process of like where shooters, I think newer shooters are at where like when they go up to a stage, like, Oh, I'm thinking about what position I need to like build. Right. Like I'm strictly thinking about wind. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Right. It's like, Hey, I, I know I've got a general idea. Like once I put my bag down, like, Hey, what position I'm going to kind of force myself into or get into, that's going to be the most stable. But what I'm really thinking about the whole time is like, okay, what is the wind doing? Is it the same condition as it was in the staging area or is it different? Uh, or what is it doing uh, once I come into my glass in terms of mirage and, and stuff like that? And then, you know, what am I opening up with? And typically, 
you know, what I've been used, what, what I was doing, um, in certain stages was opening up my gun number. And, you know, I've, I found that a couple of times to be a little too strong. Right. Uh, so I'd hit on the, what they call pro side. Right. And then I figured out that, you know, some of the times pro side, what's the pro side. So the pro side is shooting is, is holding too much wind. Right. The amateur side is not holding enough wind. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a term that's kind of coined in the competition space. Uh, I, I don't know who came up with it. I don't know if it was Emil Aprasic that, that started talking about it. They kind of caught on, mm-hmm. but yeah, they, they consider the pro side is when you're, when you're shooting too bold. more into the wind. Yeah. Too bold. And the amateur side is not holding enough wind. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it bit me a couple times, especially I think it was stage 14. It was like four sheep. Um, it was, it was like easily cleanable stage. Um, and, uh, I was just holding too much wind and, you know, I had bad, bad, I had a bad shooting position. Uh, so I couldn't really spot my impacts, uh, at, at first because the first one was like tucked away right underneath, a uh, like a rock face. Um, and so that bullet just exploded right immediately. If you didn't catch, <laughs> uh, your, your, uh, if you didn't catch where you, where you shot. So, you know, I, again, my issue was like, all right, well, I sent that first one, maybe it was a bad press. So I'm going to try to focus on a better trigger press, same wind hold and I shot in the same spot. And then it, it wasn't until the second target that I realized, oh, I'm holding too much wind. Yeah. Um, but by that, that one, point it was, it was too late. That one, I just looking at my notes here. I shot, I shot that from tripod kneeling. I couldn't find target number one. So I started on two. I hit my first round on number two. Um, I hit my second shot on number three and I hit my first round on number four, but that not being yeah, able to find dude. that, that fourth target or that first target really crushed, really crushed me on that stage because these, I mean, honestly, like you can't like you, you have to find all the targets and you, you pretty much have to get first round hits period. End of story. Like that's pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, so with the, le- especially with the level of competitors that are out mm-hmm. West and this is, this is the thing that you can't, that a lot of competitors can't really bitch about in terms of like who's competing in the hunting series, the people that are actually competing and are, and are doing well are actually hunters, <laughs> right? Rusty Elmer, Matt Alwine, John Pinch, right? Um, they got into competitive shooting because they were wanting to be better hunters. Right. Mm -hmm. And not only did they thrive at the competitive space, but now with the, you know, NRL hunter, obviously they're just, um, able to find targets. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and be competent. So like, you know, there's no argument there in terms of like, well, like we're now just shooting against competitive, like competitive shooters. No, that's that's the case. You're actually shooting against other hunters that actually took it upon themselves to, get better at their craft that understand the difference between playing the game and hunting and hunting. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great perspective and it's one that um, it's one that I've um, that I've needed to embrace for, for a long time and out of my own stubbornness, I have not. And that is no longer going to happen. Um, it's, it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be fun because 
now I can come into it with a different headspace um, and focus on focus on on utilizing every last piece of equipment that I can. Like as an example, you know, I can guarantee I can guarantee you that if I were to have taken a, a, a medium sand filled game changer and use that as a support on a lot of those rocks and shooting positions or off of a tack table, that rifle would have been far more stable in all of those positions. Um, it's just a fact. It's just a fact that that gear, that piece of equipment helps you so dramatically when it comes to building a position. Um, it's just undeniable. So the other thing that I was jonesing for, um, and I think I was jonesing for it because of the lack of stability that the lack of consistent stability I was getting from the pint size game changer in some of those funky field shooting positions was a sling. And, uh, mm -hmm. in order for me to make weight, I, I wasn't able to utilize a sling, but I've got some tricks up my sleeve to, uh, to try to get that weight down. So that way I can actually utilize a sling. And I can tell you that if having the sling and then utilizing like a sand filled game changer, that would have been a game changer for sure. And so that would have been the ticket. That would have been a ticket. It really would have because, um, you know, I work with my sling quite a bit, so I'm pretty adept at maneuvering it and, and getting it where I need it to be in, you know, a couple of seconds. So it's not a time thing. Um, it's more along the lines of, I couldn't actually, I couldn't fucking use it because it wouldn't make weight. Um, so, and you know, we try to do some, we try to do some gamey shit, right? We asked about the rules, um, and that, and the gamey shit didn't work. So that's okay. Um, but it was a lesson learned and I'm going to make some adjustments to my equipment as such. But, um, you know, one of the things that I, that I used that I changed up on this one is I went to, I shot, um, the new, the newest generation of the fat bastard, uh, muzzle brake. And, um, that thing is badass. Like that thing is rad. It works. It works fantastic. I had to take two of the set screws out on the forward left. Uh, side of the ports but other than that like that thing keeps the muzzle super flat and it was there was no there was only a couple of situations where um i didn't have the ability to spot my own impacts and that was that was strictly because my position was um basically it sucked because of the situation like shooting uphill a lot of those times um I set my rifle up to be, you know, perfect in, in the standing and, and, and high kneeling positions. But then once you get into those super, um, high prone shooting uphill, your body geometry changes. Right. And I noticed, uh, immediately that I didn't have enough length of pull to make a solid connection with the rifle on some of those shots that were, that were uphill and that we were prone. And even if I had higher bipods, it wouldn't have made a difference. My eye relief was jacked up and I was having to turtleneck myself quite a bit to get into a good position because my, my length of pull was not long enough. So I came home and I threw a couple more spacers in there. And, um, right now our field shooting course is actually on fire. Um, we have, uh, we got a giant forest fire ripping through, uh, the area that I got some steel set up to shoot in the mountains, which super sucks, but it is what it is. Um, you think that steel will be there still? It'll be there. Um, it's on T posts. 
whether or not okay. whether or not the firefighters knock it over or what um there's a couple of them hanging there's there's majority of them on t-posts and then there's a couple of them hanging from straps on trees and obviously those are going to be gone but i know exactly where they're at i'll go put them up but it's pretty gnarly fire it's burning it's 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 pretty savage through there so um, for those of you guys who went on our backcountry hunter courses um in the last two that we ran they were in the nile and um that's where the fire is burning. It's pretty savage. So I'll go check that out. I'll go try it out and see if I can get some angles. I'll drive up into the hills and, and see if I can get some angles and, and see what's what. So we're finally getting a break from the weather, man. It's been so fucking hot here. It's been like a hundred and it's been like 104, 103 degrees. And we're starting to get a, a break. We're having a big cold front move in this week and it's only going to be in the up in the mid eight, mid eighties, which is a beautiful reprieve. It's been savage. So but um outside of that man like the equipment the setup was good um i will say that that the lighting conditions on that were made identifying targets pretty difficult especially the edges of targets so something to consider guys like this is a great opportunity to test your optics and to test your equipment to go out and see what actually you can see i mean i don't have shitty glass right i got I got a pair of Swaro EL ranges and there were a couple of targets that were out there at, you know, 650, 700 yards that I actually, I could tell there was a target there, but I needed my rifle scope to identify the edges of the targets to be able to shoot at something. So that was, that was an interesting thing. It's just like, yeah, man, I can see that thing, but shit, I got to go to my rifle scope to make sure that I can actually, you know, um, identify an outline and select an aiming point to shoot at it. So that was good. Um, but you know, other than that, like the smoke, a lot of people complained about the smoke, not being able to get ranges. I didn't have any problems with the Swaros and I always have a backup range finder with me in the event that I need it, but I didn't. And that was all good, man. It was, uh, I thought it was a fantastic shoot. I think the series has a ton of promise, a ton of, um, potential and, um, I think it needs to be managed appropriately for sure, because if it's not managed appropriately, it's going to turn into what we've seen PRS and NRL turn into in terms of like the gear races and stuff. But as long as the match directors stay focused on the spirit of the series and they set their matches up accordingly, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be the premier series that um, takes over and you're going to see everybody flocking to that series. I think you're going to see some people, many people stay, especially, you know, people on the East coast stick around with the PRS. And, but I think you're going to see a lot of, a lot of NRL competitors out West gravitate towards the Hunter series for sure. I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I'm glad you talked about gear, you know, so I shot four matches this year, including the NRL started with California, then I shot Idaho and then I shot Utah, Idaho, Utah, and then the finale. Colorado and every match had its own set of its own difficulties. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and one thing that I did learn was that, you know, even though it worked, even though certain gear worked one match, it wasn't necessarily that it was going to work for another. Does that make sense? Yep. Right. So like, uh, for instance, um, I found all my targets with a Terrapin X for both, uh, the, uh, Idaho, and the california match right Uh, targets were super easy to identify uh you know jake and um dan for california and then seth you know uh, for idaho they didn't you know 
uh, put targets in any kind of like crazy places because it was, you know, very wide open, right? And then you got to Utah and I'm telling you, like I was probably on my EL 12 by 50s for a, a lot. Uh, there was three mm-hmm. targets for the first time I wasn't able to find. The raccoon and the, or two targets, the raccoon and the deer. Yeah. <laughs> on stage uh, two and three. And then uh, for the Colorado match, it was, I would say, like a combination of, yeah, not being because of the, the, the lighting conditions, um, you know, the, the fact that the steel wasn't painted and how small they were, <clears throat> right? Um, I mean, I was really glad that I was able to borrow the ELRs from you on day two because that definitely speed, sped up my process because at mm-hmm. first, I'd pull my binos out. <clears throat> I'd get a quick reference of where they're at. And then I'd have to go back and arrange them all, right? right? And especially if I'm already like stressing on time in terms of like trying to find the target, or having to now set up like a like a modified prone or like a high prone where you know now I gotta close my legs all the way and then you know get it flat. Um, it you know just ate up time, and uh, I was just I, I kept at those like four rounds or uh, four target stages uh, with difficult targets to find. I was either always like you know, timing out at the last shot or, you know, um, finishing it with only like five or six seconds left. Right. Um, so that's where really, you know, having a, uh, range finding binos really helped. And like, and like you said, I mean, even there was a couple of times with the ELRs, I was just like, Oh yeah. Or even my 12 by fifties. I was like, I think there's a target there, but I I, I don't see it. (laughs) I should have, and looking back, I should have just lazed it anyways. It was like, okay, I got a range for it because, it wasn't until I got into the rifle scope because like what I would do is like be like, okay, well, I'm going to skip whatever target that is, right? I found three. I don't know where the, I don't know if the fourth one is the third one or the, you know what right. I mean? Right. I'm like, hey, I can see three of them and I'm going to shoot these three and I'll describe to you what they, what they look like. Right. When I got into my rifle scope, I was like, oh, there's that fourth one that I was looking for. Yep. And but at that point back. it was already, yeah, or, it, was, yeah it, was that time, it was too, it was too late because I, yeah. I, I, I'd, at that point, I'd have to laser or whatever. So uh, that's what I found myself uh, doing. But um, no, I think uh, I'm going to look at my gear because everyone's asking me what I'm what I'm planning uh, to run next year. And um, uh, I mean, honestly, I was really, really glad I ended up sticking out with that Tika mm-hmm. throughout the whole season. Um, and I mean, I shot in a pretty stacked field, right? And, uh, you know, I've kind of beat myself up for, for a couple of stages. And this is kind of like, what I deal with all the time with the, you know, mental state of being a, a competitor, but uh, you know, the shoulda, coulda, woulda game. Sure. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm super happy with how that uh, prefit performed and, and where that build started and where it eventually gravitated me to, you know, uh, being within the top 15 of um, top 10% of the West coast, right. And the NRL right. series. Well, so. let's, let's look at that for a second. That's a great topic. Cause I think a lot of people are, a lot of people out there think that they have to, a lot of people out there think that they have to build a race gun esque to shoot this series. And you don't like, you don't like, you don't need, I mean, is it helpful to have a rifle that shoots in the point twos? Absolutely. Is it necessary? It's not. Now the championship match, those targets were small. Right. Just got had some small targets out there, but the majority of the targets that like we shot in Utah, you know, there was 
they were they were they're fairly good good sized targets and if you could find them you could hit them whereas scott's match it was a little different because yeah it was a championship match and it should have been that way it should have been those targets should have been more challenging in terms of size and range and most of the targets that scott that scott put out there lived anywhere between i would say 450 and and 600 they were they were out in that range so it, there was I think there was only a couple of shots where I marked my card inside 300 yards, if that. Actually, inside 400 yards. There weren't very many targets that were inside 400. So, which is which is fine. It's it's good. I mean, range is just a number, anyways. Right? Range is just a number. Uh, the range of the target is not nothing to be scared of. Of it's just a number that tells you what angle you need to dial your scope's elevation to to hit the target. So um, you don't need a rifle that is like laser, laser accurate. Now it's helpful. Don't get me wrong. That's helpful because that's also reducing your margin for error um, and giving you more opportunity to hit the target in the event that you did make a bad shot or you broke the trigger when you didn't want to, or you made a bad wind call, whatever the case might be. But you know, like you could take a factory rifle out there and shoot well with it. Most factory rifles nowadays, I say most, um, are more than capable of producing accuracy that we were utilizing to hit those targets. So I, I think that Rusty um, Almer was in the top ten with a factory Tika. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm thinking. I'm thinking next year. I want to do. I want to do the same thing with, that Rusty did. I want to shoot in, in all three classes. I want to shoot in production. I want to shoot in light and over and heavy. And, um, I think in the, in the production class, I'm going to shoot a havoc. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, that's, I want to let like for people that are listening, let that sink in like a, a factory gun outshot over a hundred some shooters. And I'd say there was at least, I know like four or five that were like custom $10,000 rigs that you know mm-hmm. our t- our turnkey systems um yep. so <laughs> i just i just i'll just say that but yeah um, it's it ain't the arrow man it oh yeah no, arrow, not at all for sure um so no i i there's a I, i'm super i mean honestly it was a perfect prep to getting into hunting season mm-hmm. you know i think maybe one more match toward maybe like late august would would be good but it was already getting pretty hot and i know i think for a lot of uh, shooters late august is scouting season and oh, yeah. and uh, archery starts opening up so um i think you know i'm already itching for next season and um oh yeah me too man i'm I'm already, I'm looking at some matches here locally. Um, we got an NRL match here uh, at Rock Lake in October, which I'm going to shoot. You should come up for that. You should totally come up for that. Yeah. That's fun. like the first weekend, right? Yeah. You should come yeah. up for that. Um, so yeah, there's that. And then, you know, we have our club matches here, uh, local club matches. So I'm going to shoot those, but um, I'm about ready to send the Archimedes off to short action customs and get it chambered up for a couple of BRA barrels. So that's going to be badass. I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, but outside of that, man, I am, I'm getting ready for hunting season. Like it's, it's here. It's, it's like the weather's starting to cool off a little bit 
and it's time. It's time to go hunting. Actually, uh, fall bear opened up here in Washington State um, two days ago. Yesterday was the opener. So nice. Um, I'm not hunting spring uh, fall bear right now because I'm busy doing prep to hunt content for all of you all, which is a badass program that we're about to release. I'm going to release it tomorrow. Um, we're recording this podcast on Monday. This will show up on Wednesday. So when you guys listen to this thing, you need to cruise over to moderndayrifleman.com and check out our prep to hunt package. It is going to be um, an eight week long series that is kind of like um, split into two parts. We're going to do a free vlog section where I'm just going to uh, do video blogs on what I'm doing to prepare myself to go hunt. Um, and if you just want to hang out and, and consume the free content, there's going to be a ton of information in there for you to consume. Um, and then uh, if you're looking on the paid side of the house, it's super cheap, guys. We're, we're, we're looking at this from the perspective of the average hunter. And we're pricing this thing out at 97 bucks. And you literally cannot beat the amount of information that you're going to get for 97 bucks. It's just not possible. There's literally nobody out there doing what this is, what this program is going to cover. Um, we're going to split the program up into, um, four groups. We're going to do marksmanship. We're going to do gear and equipment. We're going to do field skills and we're going to do PT. So the marksmanship is pretty much straightforward. I'm going to show you guys like what I'm in, what am I doing to train, get my rifle ready. I'm starting from scratch, right? So the, when I started the vlog series, it was getting the rifle ready to go shoot, um, for, uh, the NRL hunter finale in, um, at Cameo in, uh, Grand Junction, Colorado. And I'm going to take you guys all the way through for eight weeks of what I'm going to do to get ready to go, to go hunt. Um, all the training stuff, getting my rifle ready to go. Um, the training drills that I'm going to use for marksmanship. And then I'm also going to talk, start talking about like gear and equipment, boot selection, pack selection, pack fitment. What's in my emergency kit. What's in my kill kit. What's in all that stuff. Um, and then we're also going to touch on field skills because guess what, man, nobody talks about field skills. Nobody, nobody talks about field skills. And as hunters, field skills, having solid, having a solid base of field skills is what is going to help us give ourselves the best opportunity to have the chase, to set you up for the opportunity to be in the position to see the animal and then make the decision of whether or not you're going to go after it. Right. That's all field skills. And we're going to touch on that. And then we have a PT program, which is super badass. I just started it today. Um, it is done by the programming is done by John Warren and he's in the rifleman network as well. John is a, is a, uh, he is an army national guard sniper. He is a PT program guy from Softleet, and, uh, he's just an animal. He's a beast. He's a super good friend of ours and very personable guy, super easy to talk to. He's actually going to be in the program coaching you guys. And that's the cool part about this program is that we actually have a network. We have a community. And when you are in that program, you can ask questions. And our staff, John, Philip, and myself are going to be able to be in there and answer your questions for you and get you started on the right foot. 
And this is a program that's, I don't, to my knowledge, nobody's ever done anything like this before in uh, like the all inclusive nature of it. So I'm excited to release that. It's going to be a blast and I'm just going to have fun with it. I'm going to, I'm just basically going to have fun and uh, video blog what I'm doing to get ready to go hunt. So uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a good time. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, I was just uh, on the phone with uh, Stone Glacier guys last week trying to select some gear uh, to get ready to go hunting season. And um, one of the biggest things was trying to to figure out a pack, right? And um, there's so many packs on Stone Glacier. I have a bunch of packs, right? And that's another thing. You should never trust pack advice from a guy that just has one pack. (laughs) (laughs) Like I thought I had a lot of packs and then I went to your house and I just yeah, saw no, the mountains of fucking rucks that you have. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I don't have, I, I, I don't have nearly as a problem as Galen does. No, I got uh, a problem. But, you, but it, it also speaks to the amount of experience that you can also tell about like, okay, Hey, this is not only, you know, what I'm looking for, but work works for me, but like, this is why, right. That's, yeah. that's, that's ultimately important. And, um, Again, what I love about this program is that it's all inclusive into one, right? Like you said, uh, prepping your rifle, PT, uh, your gear. Um, whereas when I was like kind of like cruising through Stone Glaciers, uh, you know, uh, they they have uh, really cool pack dumps, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I'm just looking at packs and their gear at that point, just what they're able to fit. And I'm just trying to visualize, okay, hey, well, on, on this hunt, on a hunt that I plan on doing this year, um, or the hunts that I plan on doing this year, uh, this is what I expect to go out. And, and, and Zach uh, was able to help me hone down on, I ended up getting the R3 5900. Nice. Good choice, dude. Um, Super good choice. Because, uh, you know, the the packs or the hunts that I'll probably go on are not going to be late season ones. They're going to be yeah. kind of uh, early season ones. And we talked about that, that, you know, you know, you, I didn't, I, not only did I not think that of being a consideration, but the amount of obviously layers that you would have to have for those later hunts obviously takes up space, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't plan on doing that this year at least, Um, but I am going on because I did draw a um, bull tag uh, out here and then, you know, hopefully do a general, uh, general deer tag as well. I don't know, man, we're going to drag, I want to drag you out to, uh, I want to drag you out to the, to the Missouri river breaks in Montana with, with Colton this year in late November. And we'll go shoot some mule deer uh, does. And does, I think you can buy like three doe tags a piece as a non-resident. And uh, we tried to go one year, but the weather was just super savage. And Colton said, nah, man, we're not even going to try it. It's um, it would take us two days just to get there because the weather was so bad. So um, just the roads were all jacked up. It was a mess. So we're going to try to do that again this year. And I would definitely like for you to, to, to tag along. I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring Luke with me um, just oh, yeah. to be able to give him the opportunity to see what that's all about. You know, my boy is starting to ask about hunting and um, I'm going to take him on a couple of day bear trips um, towards the end of the month and see how he does in the mountains and on some easier, on some easier hikes that we can, that we can do to get into places and have a high possibility, high chance of finding a bear. So, and I'm also scouting for, for high country buck. Our high country buck season opens on September 15th, which I'm super jonesed about because that's our best hunt in Washington state really is, is the high country buck hunt. And if you're willing to put the work in, you can find some really, really good deer. Um, some of the biggest bucks that I've, that I've shot have all been in the high buck hunt. So 
um, it's awesome. It's like, it's your first, you're, you're literally, you know, you're in the high country in the Alpine and you're hunting deer with a rifle on September 15th. And like there, you can't beat that. So it's awesome. And, you know, general hunt, we got invited back to the grand Tetons this year, which is super cool. Um, we did that hunt last year and I know a lot of you guys have been jonesing to see that video and we're going to air that stuff coming up this week. Um, and we got invited back to go finish out or at least continue the cull operation of the goats in Grand Teton National Park. And apparently the goats have kind of migrated back into um, an area that has no trails and we had our eye on it last year. However, we only had a five-day window, and uh, if any of you guys have ever been in the Tetons and hiked up back into the canyons, five days is not a lot of time considering the amount of ground you have to cover, and especially in areas that don't have trails, it takes that much more time to get where you're going, and the, where these goats are now, we're going to have to dedicate five full days just to put eyes on this this deep deep basin which is going to be a bad it's going to be a badass time it's gonna be a lot of fun but um it's going to be a cool season i'm excited for it and uh you know i didn't draw anything this year i don't draw nobody i mean i don't draw shit in washington i've got like (laughs) 13 points i haven't drawn anything but luke carrick drew an archery elk tag a bull tag which is going to be rad i'm going to go uh, hunt with him for a couple of days and that's actually a super close trip. It's only about an hour away from the house. Um, but uh, that'll be fun, man. We're, we got a really good hunting season coming up. Cody Cody also drew a bull tag in Colorado with a rifle. Nice. So you two lucky bastards are going to be having some fun this fall. So I'm going to have fun too, but I definitely want to go. I, I, I definitely want to go elk hunting with you guys for sure. Uh, we also released, released the uh, uh, Wilderness Land Navigation course that Cody yeah, man. put together for us. The Wilderness Land Nav course, dude, he did such a good job on that. And I couldn't, honestly, I couldn't think of a better person to teach it. Um, he's done so much. He's done so much when it comes to land navigation. Um, you know, he's he's done pretty much pretty much every difficult course the Marine Corps has to offer from infantry officers course, um, special forces selection, um, you know, BRC, Lurslit. I mean, he's done it all, dude. And so he understands how to teach it. He understands the concepts and he put together a fantastic program. If you guys haven't checked that out and you're, and, and if you are somebody that is in the mountains or in the woods and you're relying on your ability to navigate from point A to point B, you need this, you need this course. It's, it's, it's so badass. Like I went through it. Like I'm going to put Luke, my son, Luke, he's 10, he's going to be 11 uh, next month, but it's so well done that even my 10 year old can take the class and he started it today and he's like spitting out all these different definitions and stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, proud dad moment. Super cool. He's going to be able to, he's going to be able to do intersections, resections by the end of the week. So that's awesome. Dude, land navigation is I love land navigation. Like, and and it's one of those things that also, I I shouldn't say it clicked for me because like what my first attempt at, at, at sniper school, if I can 14 years ago, right. Or 13, uh, well, no, 12 years ago. Um, like I knew I was in the general area. I just like, that's when like understanding your pace count really matters at 
the basic course because you know your fucking stakes that you're looking for no higher than your fucking ankles right yeah, they some, can be. with some bullshit right but but like it, it's just one of those like satisfying things when you do a resection mm-hmm. and you know and you're like oh shit i'm exactly where i need I nailed to be. it i nailed right? it i nailed it, it. I right it. and um and then understanding and, and reading terrain and, and, and all that stuff it, it's again it's one of those things that um it should be a uh i mean it should be a I should be a life skill, not even just for it's a life skill. military. I'm glad you for, said that. I mean, basic dude stuff. It's basic dude stuff. Sorry, Pat. Sorry, Pat Mac. We're not trying to steal your, your tagline, but it's fucking basic dude stuff. You should be able to pick up a map and a compass and figure out where you're at. Like that, that's a, that, I kind of feel like that's a basic human thing. You know, like we live on this giant ass ball of spinning rock. And we should be able to figure out where the flying shit we are on the planet. And I hope you all understand that if you're relying on this, on this, you know, on X hunt and Gaia maps and all of this shit on your phone, when somebody decides to turn that shit all off, you're done. You're screwed. It's over. Guess what? GPS is done, screwed over with. And you're going to have to figure out how to navigate. And if you don't understand the basics of how to read a compass, how to read a map, understand azimuths, how to understand what a latitude and longitude plot versus a UTM slash military grid reference system plot is, you're kind of useless. You know, like you, you need to, you need to know those things. And I mean, Cody's in there teaching you guys how to, how to train, how to convert, um, lat longs to MGRS and UTM and how to convert lat longs from degrees and decimals. It's, it's really well done. And I would just strongly recommend if any of you guys, anybody that's listening to this podcast, you need this course period, end of story. And that's not just a bullshit sales pitch. It's for real. Because if you're listening to this course, you have a rifle. If you have a rifle, you are most likely an outdoors person, right? You most likely do things out of doors with your rifle. So you need to know how to navigate. You need to have that. You need to have that information. And if you're going to be one of those dudes, that's like, Oh, I mastered it in the army 40 something years ago, dude, don't even man. Don't even, because if you're not utilizing that skill all the time, I put you out in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the night you are not going to be able to figure out where you're at. I guarantee it because these skills are perishable. You have to use them. Yep. It's, you know, like I have, I have every confidence in the world aside from maritime. I, I would probably need to brush up on my maritime nav skills um, and my aeronautical nav skills. Cause I haven't flown in a long time, but as far as like walking my happy ass across the ground, there is no place in the world that I would feel um, intimidated navigating through period end of story like you know it's um i've done it all over the world and it's it's a really gratifying skill to have do one of the first things that i do every time i go like to a new venue or even yeah as soon as i get to the first firing position i identify northeast south and west mm-hmm. no i put out an email today man like i got like i had a I had a terrifying instance when I was a, when I was a young kid. Um, my my hunting mentor left me in a tree stand. 
Um, we were kind of rushed for time and it was a completely new area. Um, and he said, here, you're going to sit here. I was probably, I was 14 years old. I had no idea where I was. I didn't even know, like I could see that the sun was setting over there. So I, I knew that that was West and I understood the Cardinal directions, but I had no idea where the car was. I had no idea where he was at. And he was just like, we were rushing and he's like, sit in the street stand. I'll be back to get you when it's dark. And then I got dark and I got terrified. I was scared. I was super scared because I didn't know where I was. And I, and like those moments of panic, they happen. And when those moments of panic happen, like honestly, Cody talks about that in the course and millions and millions of dollars every year are expended on finding people that are lost because they don't have the basic navigation skills to figure out where they're at, where they're going and how to get to point A or point B effectively and responsibly. And that was terrifying for me. And, and there was a point I was like, you know what? I'm never, ever going to have this happen again. And I learned how to navigate and I've never had that problem again. I got no problem. I walk, I can walk through the timber without a headlamp in the middle of the night. Like I don't have a problem with it. And I actually kind of feel comfortable in that environment. Like I feel really, really comfortable there. I actually kind of feel more comfortable there than I do anywhere else. <laughs> so no, that's dude, man. I'll tell you what, like from like a psychological standpoint, especially like, you know, I don't know if you're listening to this and you're a young fucking pig or whatever doing land out on your own at night. Like that's a real gut check. Right. Sure. And like there was if a couple times when, yeah, there was a couple times that like, I got to a spot and I was like, I think, I, I think I'm where I'm supposed to be. And I didn't find the point. And I just was smoke check from running up the alpha shelf. I'd sit down on my pack and look up at the stars. Like, fuck, what the fuck am I doing? You know, I was like, is this like, is this like, is this what I want to do? You know, where's the big dipper, man? Like, like literally, literally like voices in my head. Like, uh, you should just like, this is not for you, Phil. You need to just fucking pack your shit up and go home. And I'd be like, no, mama didn't raise no bitch. <laughs> so then I'd get up, walk around a few more circles, then I'd find it and then be like, yes, you know, I'm Got good. It. Yeah. And then, no, it's... right. And, and it's just a, an emotional roller coaster. But no, you're, you're absolutely right. Like just being able to. And one thing I do want to do this year, even though I did, you know, I have Onyx uh, maps and stuff like that. Uh, but this year, for sure, I want to um, navigate from a uh, hard map. Yeah, that's always like I always have a hard map with me, no matter what. Hard map, compass, period. Like I always have those things. I do rely on technology. Um, honest, honestly, like I use. I have a Sunto. I have a Sunto Ambit, and so the Sunto Ambit allows me to have grids. It'll give me a grid. And honestly, the only time I really use that is if I'm trying to verify exactly where my position is. And I'm honestly, I'm doing it out of convenience and it's quick, it's fast, it's easy. It allows me to, to move faster. And um, that's pretty much all I use it for is just to get a grid to confirm what I usually already know. And that's where, where I'm at. And the keys, to, the keys to navigation are never leaving one spot without knowing where you're at. And if you know where you're at and then it's much easier to figure out where you're going. So, 
Um, and it's like in a new environment, new area, like, like take the Tetons last year, super simple. It's like, okay, no big deal. Like, I know I'm going up that canyon. It's a big, giant, fuck off canyon <laughs> that's going to go for a few miles. And I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get lost. Whereas other people would look at that and go, there's no way I'm going up there. That's like, I yeah. had a guy, I had yeah. a guy um, on a guided hunt. He shot a bear uh, the first day of the hunt. And he was an older gentleman from Missouri. And uh, he was there with his son. And we shot his bear in the first morning that he was hunting. And so his son still had a bear tag as well as a deer tag. And so we were going to continue to hunt. And he decided to stay back at camp. He was pretty worn out. And when we stayed back at camp, I was like, hey, man, so if you want to, um, you remember where we camped, where we camped there, you and I mm -hmm. camped at the same spot. And I said, hey, man, go, if you want to see something cool, go walk up the ridge. I don't know, it's about 500 yards, eh, maybe a half mile, maybe a half mile, 800 yards. And there's a really cool watchtower, like a, a, a fire lookout. And it's, you can't miss it. It's like on the ridge. And I said, if you start going down, don't do that. Go back up, right? And follow the top of the ridge and walk out there and you can't miss it. And that dude looked at me like I was crazy. He was like, I am not leaving here, <laughs> period. Like I'm not going anywhere. I'm like, dude, you serious? You're going to spend, like, we're going to be gone for like 12 hours. Right? Like we're going to leave before dark and we're going to come back after dark. And so, or before light and come back after dark. And he was like, Nope, I'm all set. <laughs> I came back to camp that, that evening and I asked him, I was like, Hey man, did you go check out the watchtower? And he goes, I told you I ain't going anywhere. I'm afraid I'm going to get lost. And it was like, wow. Okay. All right. So this is a thing. This is a thing that everybody needs. So that's yeah, why we had yeah. Cody create the course. So yeah, man, hunting season it's here all kinds of field skills. I'm telling you guys, check out the prep to hunt course. It's super rad. I'm, I'm excited. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's a, it's literally, it's can there be an, can, can there, I need, I need an episode on gaming your animal, your, your gaming, uh, what? your animal. Gaming no, not animal? gaming. Um, uh, quartering it. Oh, quartering it. That's yeah, hard. To, yeah. It's hard to say. It's hard to do that without actually like being there and witnessing it and like having a do. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you, I think, I think that would definitely tee it off, right? If you, oh, we could do that. Yeah. No, I mean, because I've got an antelope hunt in like the last week of September. Two of them fuckers. <laughs> so, so or I was, I was gonna I'll shoot. What, uh, if I shoot, a, if I connect with a bear what I'll do is I'll, I'll bring my camera, I'll bring all my gear with me. I'll bring my phone with me and, and stuff and I'll set up and I'll do, I'll do an impromptu session on how to break down a bear. And it's yep. literally the same, how you break down a bear with the exception of skinning it. If you want the full, like if you want the full uh, bear skin, there's some, there's some things that you have to do that are different with like a deer or an elk. Um, but generally speaking, it's the same shit. It's the same process. Um, and sure, I can definitely, I can definitely do that because, uh, that's one of the things like in our backcountry hunter course where people were like, man, I really, I really want to know like how to, how to break down an animal. It's like, yeah. bro, it's, it's July. It's like a hundred degrees outside and I just, uh, I'm fresh out of critters to kill right now. So yeah, yeah. and I have to wait. 
But Stone Glacier actually has a couple of films. I know that they have a couple of short films on their YouTube channel of dudes that have broken down elk. Um, look that up because they have some really good uh, information there. And there's there's a few there's a few good videos on YouTube um, about dudes breaking down animals. But out west, um, generally speaking, critters don't come out whole. Uh, they get broken down one way, shape, or form or another and packed out uh, on your back. Um, so like I didn't learn that shit either until uh, I came out west because I grew up as a as an East Coast whitetail hunter and everything comes out whole there. And I did work as a I did work as a butcher in a deer in a deer processing shop, but even then it's totally different breaking it down. Like when you're looking at the animal on the ground and you're like, holy shit, I have to like cut this thing up and like something big like an elk where it lays is where it lays and that's where you work so if it's in some super fucked up crazy ass position you got to figure it out and you got to deal with it so um you'll you'll learn you'll figure it out hopefully i hope your elk dies in the craziest fucked up position possible so that you get the experience hell yeah and just because you said that i'm gonna be like thinking oh, yeah. in my head, like all right oh yeah he's gonna is he in a good spot nope <laughs> if nope. he rolls down a hill am i fucked <laughs> yeah it's probably gonna happen that way so. oh shit awesome yeah man so we got some really cool stuff coming for you guys and um cast has been working hard at Cass our, on has our been uh, working on- super hard on um, our uh, new um event uh events manager kind of thing yeah so guys check that out um so we're going to be pushing out some links uh by the time this podcast is is aired the links are going to be out so make sure you check it out we're utilizing a new pro a new program a new set of software um that is kind of like an event planner and you're going to be able to manage all of your interactions with us in the registration process because each class has its own like little miniature website and you're going to have every last bit of information that you need at your fingertips. Um, it's going to be badass. Like when you show up, we're going to scan your QR code on your phone to, to like make sure that roll call is taken care of. You're going to be able to manage. Um, we're offering payments this year. We're also offering deposits, which is going to be awesome for you guys that are like, Hey man, you know, I want to come out and train and I want to book six months out and, and like secure my class slot, but I don't have all of the money up front and that's fine. We understand that. So, um, Cassandra found this, this software, she has literally been pulling her hair out, um, trying to figure out how it works because technology is tedious. Um, but that's what she does. She's super resilient when it comes to that. And she does just a phenomenal job at everything as you guys all well know. So, um, without, uh, without cast, we would not have modern day sniper where it is today. So check those things out. Uh, in-person classes are coming. Guess what? We are going to the United Kingdom. It is going to be rad. Um, that is going to be September, doing, September 2022 of 2022. We're doing four courses there. And when those things get out, I know we got a bunch of European listeners. Y'all need to get on that stuff because it is going to fill most Ricky tick. So hit that up as soon as possible. Uh, we got a great, we got a couple of really good dudes that are going to host for us. And uh, we've seen some pictures of the venue there. There's, it's going to be badass. It's going to be super cool. It's going to be up in the Scottish Highlands. And um, 
I'm super excited. And uh, we got a whole slew of, of in-person classes coming for 2022 and the rest of 2021. Make sure you guys check out Pig River coming up in November. And we have Texas uh, at Rifles Only coming up in December. And then January, we have a new venue. Uh, we are, uh, are going to start teaching at Altus down in Baker, Florida, which is going to be awesome. Uh, we're going to be able to run some really cool packages down there too. So we're going to be in Altus. We're going to be at Altus in January. And then we're going to be in Florida again in Volusia County in February. And then we're going to be back in Southern California in March. So it's going to be badass. Going to be a good, good start to the year. Look forward to it. Yeah, man. Well, with, uh, with that being said, we're just, we're coming up here on our hour mark and um, we're going to do our best to continue the weekly podcasts and, uh, I, I get it. You know, we, we need some more consistency in that and, and we're going to, we're going to do our best to make sure that that happens for you guys. So with that being said, close it up, man. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, if you guys haven't subscribed already, uh, even in the free site, hit up the uh, modern day rifleman network, um, sign up by going to www.moderndayrifleman.com. And, uh, you know, check out what your peers are talking about in terms of gear. I mean, I've, with what I've seen already, I'm enjoying it. You know, there's a lot of good interaction there, a lot of good questions, you know, and then when, when obviously we can, we'll uh, answer them and stuff like that. And then every now and then I'll drop an article or myself or Caitlin will drop an article that we don't normally push on social media right. To give those guys obviously uh, an access to a deeper behind the scenes of our thought processes for practice or uh, the mental side of the house. But again, guys, we appreciate everyone's love and support. Um, we will see you guys on the next podcast and you guys know the drill. Keep your face on the gun.